And now we're uh, to our keynote address. Very happy today to um, welcome Matt Lehrman. He is the co-founder of Social Prosperity Partners, which is a national pre practice dedicated to the proposition that where people work together courageously, their potential is unlimited. I'm seeing a theme here. Matt is an accomplished professional facilitator who for over 35 years has conducted courageous conversations that gathered consensus in service to countless businesses, nonprofits, and cities and towns. Yesterday, for those of us who were there, he led a pre-conference workshop called From Conflict to Conversation. That workshop offered a pragmatic deep dive for civic leaders into the skills of civility and public engagement. Today, we've invited him to aim even higher, to help us overcome so much disruption and division with the promise that our cities and towns can and should each become a community of possibilities. Please welcome now Matt Lehrman. Do we have consensus that you cannot hear me? Yes. Excellent. Then we are doing our job correctly. I can hear that they're pounding away at that. And this one is not on either, is it? I know you can't hear me. I have a very loud voice. But I'm sure that the tech people are working on getting the microphone. So let's see if I can switch sides, if that helps. Does this help anymore? Yes. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Who are the 150 of you who were with me yesterday for three hours to talk about from conflict to conversation? Wow, it is great to see you. I told them yesterday, and I, I have the same feeling this morning. People in South Carolina are the friendliest people in the country. And that's saying something, because I've been, just in the past few weeks, I've, been, uh, I've spoken to the Colorado Municipal League, I've spoken to the Association of Washington Cities. Um, you guys are amazing, and I am just enjoying spending my time with you. Hi, nice to see people who I saw in February. Nice to see you. Let's go, let's get into this, and um, if they figure out how to start my lavalier mic, I will walk into the middle of the uh, stage as well. We are going to talk about being a community of possibilities. And you all just took a pledge. And I'm curious to ask you, how vigorous, how strongly do you feel about the pledge you just took to build a stronger and more prosperous community? Let me see. How, how enthusiastic are you about that? If at first you don't succeed, let's just stick with plan B, because plan C wasn't working at all. I am glad to hear how excited you are about that pledge. When they asked me to deliver a keynote and they said, you're doing this after you spent three hours talking about going from conflict to conversation, uh, they challenged me. Your leadership at the association challenged me and they said, take our members even deeper. Operationalize this. Let's not make the pledge just a pledge. Let's talk about things that we can actually do. So in the very short amount of time that I have with you, I'm going to take you on a very rapid-fire, high-impact uh, presentation. I want you to strap in your seatbelts right now, because at the end of this, I'm going to give you things that you can actually do. And by the way, everything that uh, Kathy Pender said, uh, in her, and I took careful notes on everything that you just said, I'm basically saying ditto on all of that. We challenge to get better. We have to approach civility in our communities with vigor and care. We have to keep listening and talk with respect, not just to our friends and the like-minded. We need to be willing to learn and have meaningful dialogue to, and as President Reagan said, to get people to do great things. And, and the question that we have to ask is, how are we doing together? I'm done.
That's it. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk together. Are you ready to talk possibilities? We're not just talking about a pledge. We're talking about transforming our communities, about focusing on the possibilities that we can do, not just on the immediate challenges of the day. How do we elevate to that level? Let's see. You're going to ask at the end of my presentation, Matt, can I get a copy of your slides? Absolutely, yes. In fact, for those of you who attended yesterday's presentation, I will automatically send this to you if you sent me your email address or gave me your card. That's fine. The answer on how you get it, if you didn't give it to me yesterday, at the very end of the slide, I will show you how to go ahead and do it. We can do it digitally, or you can hand me your business card. It's really easy. Look, we are emerging from this period of incredible uncertainty and disruption and stress. And over two and a half years, you have exhibited incredible resilience and creativity, and you've had to innovate. If necessity is the mother of invention, we've had to invent a lot over the last two and a half years, and this is a wonderful place to be. I am going to take your temperature right now, and I'm going to ask you to do it by taking out your cell phone. I'm sorry, Madam Chair, I know that you told people to put their phones away. I hate to contradict you. Take your phones out. I'm going to ask you to text the word public to the number 22333. Text the word public to the number 22333. And when you do that successfully, you will get a bounce back message that says you've joined Matt Lehrman's session. Don't click on anything after that, just do that little bit. And while you're doing it, let me tell you that um, uh, your answers as they are gonna appear on the screen are anonymous-ish, which means that no one can tell who wrote what answers, however, if someone says something inappropriate, offensive, vulgar, whatever, I do have the ability to go into the system and identify what phone number it came from. I have never had to do that. Please don't be the first person to make me have to do that. Second, uh, it is a free service for you. I pay a subscription to this service called Poll Everywhere, but it's free to you unless unless you pay for text messages on your cell phone plan, in which respectfully I suggest get a better cell phone plan. Yep. And uh, finally, there's no marketing capture from this. I will not be texting you the firm that I do this through. They don't text you, so when we're done here, you're done. Okay. You do that? You got that? Give me a thumbs up if you've texted. You've got the bounce back message. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask you to answer this question with a single letter because we talk about the new normal. And there was a time when we thought that the new normal was just going back to the old normal. But that's not the case anymore. The new normal means things have changed fundamentally. So I'm going to ask you, the new normal, are we there yet? And you're going to answer the letter A. Just text the letter A if your answer is, yes, we've arrived. Text B if you're thinking, yeah, we're getting close. C is, it's still a ways off. D is, we're unsure but hopeful we're on the way. And E is, what are you talking about, Matt? Change is the new normal. We will never get there. It is always there. Let's just take a sense of where you are right now. Wow, look at that. Only 9%, 8% say we are already there. 7% it's going down. Look at that. 34% say it's still a ways off. Another 34% say change is the new normal. And I understand that. Do you know the adage that says you can't teach someone who's drowning how to swim? That's what our challenge is in a time of continual change or unsure when things are going to happen. I want to teach you some new skills, but how do you teach someone new skills when things are all uncertain to begin with? We start by simply acknowledging the challenges that are going on. And the challenge is that we are in a period of prolonged uncertainty and things will continue to change. We hope we're emerging from this pandemic, but who knows? Look at that. Let's look at the final numbers here. 38% changes the new normal. Incredible and not surprising in the least. Um, as, as Kathy said in my introduction, my company is called Social Prosperity Partners. Social prosperity we literally define as the wealth that is created when people work together courageously. And so this motto that where people work together courageously, their potential is unlimited. I'm always careful to define what I mean by courage because for some of us, courage means the courage of the first responder and the person in the military, the person who will rush towards danger. I have incredible respect for that, but that's not what I'm talking about. 
There's a second type of courage where you defend a principle. The captain goes down with the ship, a line in the sand. And I'm not talking about that kind of courage either. I am talking about the courage to be open-minded. The courage to listen to someone with whom you might disagree even profoundly. And instead of shutting them down, instead of saying they're crazy, they're an idiot, they're ignorant, they don't know what they're talking about, instead of that, to say the words, tell me more. Help me understand where you're coming from. That is courageous. It does not mean that you have to agree. It does mean that you show them the respect, the ability to listen to what they have to say and engage with them on their terms. And if you are willing to do that on their terms, chances are strong that they will give you the same courtesy. That's courage. So yesterday at our, uh, at our deep dive, I asked the question, in my community, civic engagement most often leaves people feeling, and I asked 150 of the people in this audience to fill in the blank, and look what they said. This word cloud, the words that appear larger are the words that most people said as they responded through their cell phones. And they said, in our community, civic engagement most often leaves people feeling frustrated and confused, but also happy and excited. Now, like Todd says, I was invited to speak to do the keynote at the Hometown Legislative Action Day. I asked the same question last February. And look at what you all said last February. Civic engagement most often leaves people feeling frustrated and confused, but also good and also angry. And yes, someone who, by the way, introduced himself to me yesterday also discovered that in my little word clouds you can put in emojis. That was good learning. Thank you, South Carolina. <laughs> Let me give you just the quick rundown of what we covered yesterday so you know where I'm coming from. This is the one-minute version of, uh, well, it's the two-minute version of everything that we did yesterday. I start with the vanilla statement that the purpose of local government is to enable individuals to join together in recognizing and solving community problems. And I point out that a lot of people read the sentence as if there is a tension, a natural tension, an existential tension between individuals and community, that somehow supporting community needs is at the expense of individual liberty and freedom. And I ask you to reread the statement as civic leaders, as community leaders, and say, no, this statement actually is that the purpose of local government is to enable individuals to join together in, so in recognizing and solving community problems. And who better than elected, appointed, and staff officials in cities and towns, who has that responsibility and opportunity to help people join together? Who, if anyone, other than the people in this room and people in similar positions? It's a rhetorical question. No one has that responsibility other than the people in this room. And so we double down. We say it's vital that we focus on our skills to help people join together. And so in yesterday's deep dive, I covered six points. We said own your leadership imperative to help people join together. Champion community values like sustainability, like betterment, um, the words that, that give us meaning, that, give, that hold us accountable, fairness to a higher level of what we're aiming for for everyone in our community. Give them what they want. And what do your residents and what do your citizens want? They want to be respected. They want to be heard. They want to be considered. We talked about convening courageous community conversations, dialogues that bring people together to talk about the profound issues that they face. Avoiding binary choices, we determined absolutely that waffles are not South Carolina's favorite breakfast. They're my favorite breakfast, but they're not yours. Um, and then lastly, we acknowledged the uneasiness in the room, and we channeled Mr. Rogers, and, who told us that uh, if it's human, it's mentionable, and if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so we learned to talk about the emotional baggage that goes along with every issue. Now, we're going to build on this a little bit today, because here you have this incredibly wonderful pillars of civility. 
And I'm so proud of the Municipal Association of South Carolina and the work that you've done from your strategic plan to build civility into the core of what you're doing. I speak at state municipal associations all over the country. No one is doing it better than South Carolina. No one is doing it better than South Carolina. And of those pillars of civility, I'm going to call attention to my favorite one, top, middle. If this was um, Hollywood Squares, uh, who would be sitting there? You know, whatever. It's, it says, concentrate on what you have in common, not what separates you. I absolutely love that particular statement, and I want to build off of that concept, because now I want to push you in another direction. The issue is not civility versus incivility. I'm going to suggest to you that you can think of civility as also a choice between operating from a position of scarcity and operating from a position of possibility. When we talk from a position of scarcity, we are talking about the problems that we face in our community with incredible pressure upon us, time pressure and budget pressure and the like. And it is very common that those are win-lose scenarios constituents will feel that they've been successful or that they have failed based on the decisions that you make. And scarce, uh, when we are in a position of scarcity, we make all kinds of assumptions. We make assumptions that everyone who cares about this was notified, that everyone had a chance to participate, that everyone was heard and respected. And that's not always the case. But when we switch our mindset from scarcity to possibility, why, then we're in a place where we can continually be inviting more people to join in our process. It is an additive. It's not a win or a lose. It's how do we grow the pie? How do we accomplish what you want to do and what you want to do? We don't have to make the choices here. We have to explore the possibilities. We have to be creative. We have to find new and innovative ways to proceed. And ultimately, that's not assumptive. That's absolutely empowering. When we invite people to the table, we empower them. We give them the chance to show their leadership. Kathy, what you said when you quoted Ronald Reagan, and I didn't know the Ronald Reagan quote, um, that, you know, leaders don't do great things, they get people to do great things. That's it in a nutshell. I couldn't agree with that more, and I'm so grateful because I'm going to be using that quote from now on. So let's talk about moving as a community of possibilities. This is the part where I ask you to strap in. I've got three skills to offer to you, three concrete things that you can do. You took a pledge. You just told me that you were enthusiastic about it. Now it's time to live up to it, and I'm going to offer you the first three things that you can do to live up to it. They are not to be a leader of possibilities, not just a community, not just a leader, to be a champion of possibilities in your community. And I'm going to talk about what you can do to be mindful and purposeful, what you can do to gather vision in your community, and what you do to deliver meaningful connection throughout your community. Here we go. Being mindful and purposeful. I have to say, I, I was up until late last night, and I got up about 5 o'clock this morning. I was so um, sincerely affected by the conversations we had in our workshop yesterday. And uh, right afterwards, one of the people who was there, I'm not going to call that person out in particular, but this person came up to me and said, you know, in my community, this is a council member, in my community, you know, I stand up for my community. I am a strong advocate for him. I am un I, I'm unapologetic at how bold I am. And some people will see me as, and I forget the exact word this person used, but, you know, as a pest, as a nuisance. And I simply ask the question, how's that working for you? Does that resonate? Yeah. But it wasn't you. I can <laughs> just for your, for your own safety. <clears throat> I said, "How is it working for you?" And, and this person, you know, kind of thought for a minute and said, "Well, you know, it has its advantages, but it has its disadvantages as well." And I just said, "Let's just talk about being mindful and purposeful. Are there alternatives? Are there other ways of being?" And understand, I'm from Arizona. 
I don't know anything about what it takes to operate in a city or town here in South Carolina. By the way, being from Arizona, I get to say I'm from one of the few places where I came to Charleston, South Carolina to cool off because it was 115 degrees at home earlier this week. So I'm happy to be here in this much cooler weather. And so this person, you know, we were, we were talking like, what are the other ways of being? I said, well, you know, this is where it helps to be mindful and purposeful. We have to think about where we are, think about it objectively, have a coach, have someone who can actually make you ask this question of yourself, and then turn around and say, well, what are some of the alternatives? Could you come up with three other ways of being, and would any of them be more effective? It's not to say that you shouldn't be a pest. I'm just saying, what other options you know, exist for you? And so I'm going to ask you to answer the question for this person, for all of you, which is, if you want to inspire civility, for each of you, I want you to answer a one-word answer to this question, which is, what must you do better? What do you need to learn? What do you need to practice? Just give me a one-word answer. What are the things that you need to do? I'm sorry, you can, you can enter as many words as you want, because I set this up so that every answer would come through and cycle. Oh, my goodness, look at that. All of you are saying, listen and respect and be an example and pause. Yes, to inspire civility, what do we need to do? We need to listen. We need to communicate better. We need to practice patience. I don't want to tell you what to do. You should be telling yourself. Care, patience, work together, respect, listen, pause. Pause. I saw the word humility up there. These are wonderful words. See where they're coming from. Take deep breaths. Model the behavior of civility that you want to see from others. I will compile all of this up, and when I send you the slides, I will send this to you. Let this be your action statement, your promise to yourself. Behave. Empathy. Be empathetic. Know your place. Be an example. Lead by example. Be welcoming. Follow through. I love all of your words. To be mindful and purposeful means to take time to think about your intentions and then hold yourself accountable to do it. It's as simple as that. That's number one. I'm going to move us forward. You have 10 seconds just to hit enter if you haven't done it yet. I'm going to make sure everyone's got captured. 10 seconds. Five seconds. Good, here we go. I'm gonna offer you five of my own. Before you leave this conference, go buddy up. Go create a mastermind. Go find at least one other person or maybe three or four other people, perhaps in other communities. People who you respect. People who you are willing to talk to and hold personal accountability with and say, this is a challenge that I'm having in my community. Yeah, I pledged to be, civ to be civil, but I got a bunch of people who are making my life really miserable. What do I do about that? Create your own friend group. Maybe once a month, you and three or four of your, your friends, your peers, you're going to meet for coffee or meet on Zoom or whatever you need to do and talk about civility. Make it a top of mind activity for you. You operationalize it by creating a cadre of people who surround you with that. Go find yourself a coach for skill development. It can be a friend, it can be a peer, there are professionals like me who do coaching for civic leaders like you. Someone who can help you ask the questions for yourself, not to tell you what to do. The coach doesn't swing the bat for you, but the coach can look at your stance and make you ask the question, is there a better way to accomplish what you're trying to do? Hey, once a week, would you make a pledge to call someone up or have coffee with someone or talk to them, someone with whom you disagree, and say, tell me more. I just want to sit down and understand where you're coming from. Let me just ask you on that one. Who's willing? Raise your hand if you're willing to do the tell me more pledge. Once a week, you're willing to reach out to someone and say, tell me more. I want to understand. Go ahead, raise your hand. Let's look around. Yeah, I would say about half the room. Not everyone's willing to do that. And I, I totally understand. It's tough. It's tough because you put yourself out there. You make yourself vulnerable, right? You raise the possibility of raising expectations of other people. You might raise the possibility that you're going to ask them to tell you more and you're still going to disagree with them. Do it anyway. 
open up those dialogues. That's what you pledge to do. Operationalize it. You gain trust by giving trust. I can't tell you how many times I go to a conference like this, and I, I, I hear this in every direction. I said this yesterday as well. I hear from council members who say, the mayor or the majority, they never reached out to me. They never asked me what I cared about, what my agenda was, what I could do. I feel completely isolated and disrespected and unheard. I also hear from mayors who say, I've got a council member who does not understand the meaning of an agenda, who keeps bringing stuff up that's out of order, and I have no choice but to gavel that person down. And I know it frustrates them. I wish they would just understand the way our, our local government is supposed to work. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, I see you. It works both ways. You gain trust by giving trust. Yeah, there's someone who might come from a different perspective. Why don't you help them out? I'd like to put that item on the agenda for you. Let's get that going in the next week or two. I want to make sure that you get it. Instead of shutting them out, welcome them in. Is that a yes? Did I hear an amen? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The last one, this is my mantra. This is what I use all the time in my practice, and I offer it to you use as well. In those heated moments, those moments where someone is yelling at you or someone is demanding of you in some way, this is what I repeat to myself. Slow down and open up. Now, yesterday I joined many of you. We, we went to the session on um, uh, verbal judo, which was fascinating. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not a verbal judo kind of person. I use this line. I thought, I've thought of it this morning. I think I'm more a verbal yoga Right? And no disrespect, I understand verbal judo, but verbal yoga means that in the moment, relax. Slow down. Don't rush through it. Let someone have their say and open up to the possibility. Use the tell me more. Tell me more is an incredibly powerful statement. It may be the three most powerful words after I love you. Maybe. Tell me more shows a sign of respect and of genuine interest. And someone who is respected and has the opportunity to talk, even if you disagree with them, they will at least feel heard. And that's what you all said people wanted. People want to be respected and heard. They don't want to be agreed with all the time. They just want to be at the table. They want to have that opportunity. Are you willing to do this? Let me just see your show of hands. If you're willing to actually operationalize yourself with any one of these things immediately, raise your hand. I want to see it. And now I'm looking for who's not raising their hand for anything. I see you over there. <laughs> no, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Right. I called you out. All right. Let's move on. Here's number two. You have the opportunity, you have the responsibility to gather vision in your community. Now, this is a question that actually came from one of the attendees of my workshops just a, a couple of weeks ago. This person asked me, how do other municipalities overcome negative publicity or media coverage? And more importantly, how do they encourage their citizens to move forward in a, in a time of transition or change? And I would argue with you, how do you, I mean, I would add to this, um, we have residents in our communities who are just stuck. They know the way it was, they know the way they want it to be, and they're not willing to move forward. It's the same question. How do we gather vision for the future? Not just vision, how do we gather consensus around a vision for the future? I offer you this. The idea of courageous conversations. The opportunity that is different than the regular order of how you operate your your council meetings and your subcommittees and your hearings and your outreach meetings and all of those things, all of those things that routinely exist for the benefit of the mayor and the council, all those places where you're listening and it's a vertical relationship between you and, and, and the constituents or the residents in some way. Courageous conversations aren't vertical, they're horizontal conversations. They're the conversations, I think this goes away, let's see. Yeah, these are conversations where you invite residents of your community to talk amongst themselves. Now, 
have you ever heard, um, anyone here a fan of Jerry Seinfeld? Anyone a big Jerry Seinfeld fan? Yeah. So Jerry Seinfeld is, is, it's not just rumored, I believe it's fact. He has file cabinets filled with all the jokes that he's ever written. He catalogs them, he indexes them. I am not that fanatical, but I do keep a file cabinet of really good questions to ask when I bring people together for courageous conversations. I'm going to share with you two of my most prized questions so that you have a takeaway here that you can use yourself in your community. These are, from my perspective, two of the most powerful questions you can ask of people in your community to help generate consensus around vision for the future. Here's the first question. What is something you appreciate in our community today that exists thanks to the decisions and efforts of people here more than 10 years ago? I'll tell you the way I often ask it is I give people an index card and I say, just imagine that you are writing a magic tweet. So you're limited in the characters that you can do. And imagine you could send a tweet back in time as a thank you note to someone 10 years ago to appreciate them and encourage them for whatever it was that you appreciate today that got its start at least more than 10 years ago. Of course, the history of Charleston and of South Carolina is so much longer. Some of those things that you like might be 50 years, 100 years in the past. I told, however far in the past you want to go, thank those people for, for building that building or starting that program or doing whatever is the thing that you do. Understand that when we ask this question, what are we doing? We are putting people in a respectful mindset. We are understanding that the things that we enjoy today exist because someone went through the hassle of getting that through a committee and getting the budget approved and went out on a limb to make that idea happen in the first place. But this is just the warm-up question because you can imagine what the second question is going to be. What is something that we might recognize and start pursuing today for which people in our community will thank us more than 10 years from now? When I, do a courageous con when I lead courageous conversations, these are 90-minute conversations. I've done this with as few as, I don't know, 25 people. I've done it with a couple hundred people at a time. In fact, these pictures that I, I'm showing you, they came out of Fort Worth, Texas. And what happened was, I, uh, don't tell them this, it's, it's, a, it's a while back, they, they won't care, I guess. But I was invited to do four of them, and we had a wonderful time. And before I left, I was told, you know what, the word's already gotten back to the council. We need to do four more because we've only been in four of the council districts so far. So you're coming back in two weeks, and we're going to do four more in the other four council districts just to make sure that we were everywhere. Good, happy to do it. But the point was, when you ask people first what, what they appreciate that exists, and then you turn their attention to the future, oh, the possibilities arise. And it's not that you're trying to make a decision, it's that, come on, it's that you bring people together, and in 90 minutes, they write down their answers, and then they collaborate together to figure out where is their consensus, where is their shared excitement about the possibilities in our community. To be in that room, especially in the last half hour, as those ideas are congealing, and people are going, oh, you're interested in that? I I'm interested in that, too. Maybe we could meet for coffee next week, and we could talk about what kind of resources are available, what kind of information. I have knowledge about how this is done in other cities. Maybe we could pool our resources and figure out how to move this. It is a magical experience when, as, as Kathy said, when you ignite the interest of others, and they take the lead to make it happen. And you, as civic leaders, are the enabler to bring this all together. It reminds me of that wonderful quote from sociologist Margaret Mead, who says, never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. That's what you're in the business. That's what you are in the business of, empowering other people to come together and dream big dreams and provide them the platform upon which to build for the future. Is that exciting to you? I can't tell. Is that exciting? Do you, want, do you embrace that? I want to hear from you. Do you embrace the idea that your job is to empower other people to do great things? 
That does not sound wholehearted. I'll ask it just one more time. Do you embrace your personal responsibility to empower others to do tremendous things? Okay. I'm calling it out, Todd, because, you know, it's, it, thank you, Kathy. It is, it's hard work. And I understand that you might listen to me and go, D -d does this really make sense? Could we really do this? Do I, do I really have the stature in my community? I'm only a council member. I'm, I'm only a first-term mayor. Do I have the ability to drive this? The answer is absolutely yes, of course you do. Here's the third one, my favorite part of the lesson here. <coughs> How you deliver connection. Hang on a second. Here's how you deliver connection. This was a comment that I actually got on an evaluation form just two weeks ago when I did this presentation in another state. Someone wrote on the evaluation, they were obviously reflecting on their own experience and they said, a lot of the time it really does feel like citizens are our enemies, but their hostility lies with not feeling heard and it's our job as civic leaders to remedy that. I'm going to offer you my little skill set on how to deliver meaningful connection to different people in your community. This tree, I call this the get-or-done tree. This is the tree that exists in our mind whenever you see a project and it says, we just got to get it done. How do we do that? And whether you're in business or anywhere else, when people look at the tree, there's a common phrase that we use about how we get things done, and we say what? We're going to pick what? We're going to pick the low-hanging fruit. And why do we pick the low-hanging fruit? Because it's easy and it's cheap, right? It's the things that we can pick off really easily without having to work too hard. And I'm going to suggest to you that the next time someone says pick the low-hanging fruit, I want you to go, you know what, I was at the Municipal Association of South Carolina uh, uh, conference and someone stood up on the stage and said, that paradigm is the root of all evil. Picking the low-hanging fruit is not going to help you develop meaningful connections with your folks. In fact, picking the low-hanging fruit is going to send you back to talking to your friends and the like-minded people. You need to reach higher up into the tree. That's your responsibility and your opportunity. The economist John Kenneth Galbraith has this wonderful quote that says, the conventional view protects us from the painful job of thinking. So I ask you right now to engage with me in the painful job of thinking. We are going to take an ax. We are going to cut down the get-or-done tree. And the next time someone says it to you, I want you to go, nope, there was another way of looking at this, and I'm going to have you draw this little quadrant chart. This little quadrant chart is a way of thinking of your residents, of your constituents, of whoever you're working with, to think about them on a scale of their ability, their ability to, uh, to, to work on a particular issue, and horizontally with their desire to get something done on that issue. Their ability and their desire. People who are high ability and high desire, why I call those people devoted. You know who those people are because they are calling you day and night. They know the issue better than you do. They knew it before you did it. They have strong opinions on it. They want to get stuff done, and they are devoted to that issue. There are people who are high desire but lower ability. Maybe their attention is on a bunch of other things. They're not as devoted to that particular thing. They care about a lot of things. I call these folks oriented. They're oriented. They're in the market. They're paying attention. They care. They're not as single-minded focused as the devoted, but they care. There are people in the lower left corner who are low desire, low ability. I call these people asleep. This, this is not a pejorative. I am not saying they're asleep to life. I'm not saying they're asleep to your community. I'm not saying that they don't care. I'm not saying that they're ignorant. I'm just saying that they're asleep because you have a responsibility to do what? Wake them up. And then finally, the quadrant of magic and wonder where all incredible things are possible. The upper left quadrant are people of high ability but low desire. They have the ability to pay attention to this. It might, it might mean something to them. They're just not focused on it. They're, they're solving their problems in other ways, and I call these people uninspired. And again, uninspired isn't a pejorative. I'm not saying that they're uninspired to life. I'm not saying that they sit at home all day and do nothing. I'm not saying they don't care. 
I'm just saying that what they know in their head doesn't matter as much as they're not feeling it in their gut. And you've got to make them feel it in their gut. I'm going to show you, well, I'm going to make sure that you understand my metaphor first, then I'm going to show you pictures of what these people look like in your community. Let's make sure you understand my concept first. Forget your community. Let's talk about something much more important. Let's talk about French fries. You with me on French fries? Who likes French fries? Fair enough. If you are devoted to French fries, what is the only name brand condiment you will put on your French fries? Yeah, name brand condiment, Heinz. If you are oriented to French fries, which means you were raised in a household that exposed you to the value of a tomato and sugar-based lubricant for your fries, please tell me what is the next best alternative that you'll put on your fries? Yeah, absolutely. Hunt's or Del Monte, something called catsup, which is cool because some marketing person went, cats up. And someone went, hey, that's good. And that was their whole day. That was their whole day of work. For people who are asleep, now in my universe, you have to put something on your fries. You can't eat naked french fries. What's the lowest common denominator substance to put on your french fries? Absolutely. Salt. And now the quadrant of magic and wonder where all incredible things are possible. What are the uninspired putting on their french fries? Yeah, everything else under the sun. And here's the deal. The people who are uninspired, they're not losing a minute's sleep fearing that they've somehow missed the boat because they're not putting ketchup on their fries. They have solved their French fry lubricant and seasoning you know, in a nice, easy way, all on their own. And yes, some people are putting sugar on their fries. It, I, I hear, I do this presentation, so many people are always giving me, this is what's really going on. So yeah, okay. So um, now that you understand the concept, let me show you the pictures of what your constituents look like in these four quadrants. Whatever you think that person looks like on the outside, I'm going to show you a picture of what they look like on the inside. And we're going to start with who is your devoted constituent, your devoted resident. Why they Oh, I'm sorry. I, I meant to show you one more thing. Um, this is how we normally operate. This is the get-her-done tree in the conventional sense. Its roots are in the devoted. When we want to get stuff done, we talk to the devoted. It's easy for us to talk to them. And what I'm saying here, oh, and we frequently give up on going to the asleep and the uninspired. So what I'm saying is we need to grow that circle. You, as civic leaders, need to develop meaningful connections by talking to people in each of these four quadrants. And here's how you do that, to deliver connection to the person who is devoted. This is your devoted. On the inside, I want you to know I did look for a picture that represented the Gamecocks in some way. I could not find a fanatic picture as good as this one. I tried. I did try. Okay. What does this person want from you in your community? This person wants to be respected. They want to be heard and they want to be considered. And in your community, those people can be your core supporters, but they can also be, oh, I've heard so many, so many nicknames for this, the, um, the ferocious few, the obstinate eight, the, um, what, are, what are some of the other ones that you call them, the hateful eight, who else do you have, the, these core people who are always there and they always seem to be against you? The what? Cave people? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to name anyone specifically, obviously, but the point here is they're still devoted. Whether they're with you or against you, the issue is if they are respected and heard and considered, you stand a much higher chance of having civility, of having civil conversation with them. But they deserve it because they care. Their devotion means that they care, and that becomes your responsibility to serve them. These are people who are oriented. Can you tell where these people are? They're at the Louvre Museum in Paris. They're looking at uh, the, the uh, Mona Lisa. They spent thousands of dollars. They flew in from all over the world. And what do they do when they get to the front of the line in front of the Mona Lisa? Take a selfie. They turn their back to the Mona Lisa, arguably the most popular work of art on planet Earth, and take a selfie. Why? Because not everyone who goes to see the Mona Lisa cares about art. Not everyone's an art historian or an art student. And there are people in your community who show up for meetings that you, for issues that you have to talk about, for their own issues, not for your issues, not for the reasons that you thought were important, and those people need to be expected. 
And when they show up, they need to be received. They came to talk for two or three minutes at your council meeting, and no one gave them eye contact. No one made them feel like they were expected to be there or appreciated for being there. They are oriented, and they deserve your attention. They deserve a follow-up note from you afterwards. They deserve accountability. They deserve a collection of ideas that were voiced that go on a website or on a follow-up message somewhere that says, we heard you. They deserve to feel that there was some response to what they did, not that they were talking to a brick wall. For the people who are asleep, I said your job is to wake them up. But let's understand, I said this is not a pejorative to be asleep. There are people who are just busy. They got other priorities going on. They're trying to, to take care of the kids and hold their family together and do all this, the hard stuff of life. It's okay to be asleep especially on a lot of the issues that we deal with. That's fine, but you have a fundamental responsibility that you've got to ask too, which is another picture I'm going to add here, which is it goes against every fiber of, I'm going to use the word politician, it goes against every fiber of a politician's being to wake up sleeping dogs. What's the expression, let sleeping dogs lie? If they're not, if they're not agitated, let's not run the risk of agitating them. I respectfully suggest that that deserves reconsideration. If I was coaching you on an issue, I would ask, where is your responsibility to wake people up, to let them know that there's an issue that they might want to pay attention to, even at the risk that those people will disagree with your position because your job isn't to win. Your job is to make people feel engaged and connected meaningfully in your community. That's why they're asleep. And then finally, this is the quadrant of the uninspired. And that picture is uh, from the ALS bucket challenge. Remember, people were dumping ice-cold buckets of water on their head and raised, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars for ALS. Not one of those people woke up any morning and said, oh, my God, ALS is such a terrible disease. We have to cure it right now. They did it because it was fun. You want to inspire the uninspired in your community? Give them activities that make them uh, excited. Make them work on topics that feel significant to them and give them meaningful ways to participate. Make it fun. Don't just make them come to the council meetings. Give them the festivals and the events and the activities which, in which they can participate. Here's the great question to ask to get the uninspired going. What's our extraordinary? In your, some of you have talked to already during the conference, and I will often ask you, what's extraordinary in your community? What stands out? Surfside Beach, I, we talked about that this morning. I know where you guys are sitting over there somewhere. I asked you the question, what's extraordinary in your community? That's the picture. That's the picture that deserves to be on your desk or by your phone. And when you're talking to people, you need to be thinking about how do I address folks who are devoted, oriented, asleep, and uninspired. You've got responsibilities all the way around the board. Okay, to bring this to a close, I'm going to offer to you this summary. We started with the idea that your responsibility is to enable people to join together. But I discovered as I was writing this that I got a problem, that the last part of my statement that about recognizing and solving community problems, that seems to send you all into a position of scarcity because solving problems is reactive. And I don't want you to be reactive, come on. I, I don't want you to deal with the pressure and the win-lose and the assumptive so I feel the need to rewrite the end of my little statement there, and I'm going to do it for you right now. I'm going to say that the purpose of local government is to enable individuals to join together in solving community problems, we've still got to do that, and recognizing or exploring community possibilities. We have to do both of these things. And recognizing community responsibilities, this is, an, this is a, a term that I just invented for you. I'm going to call it idea structure. You all know the world of infrastructure. You know the durable things you have to do to keep your communities going. I'm now suggesting that you also need to think about idea structure. That is the ongoing process that you will invest in and lead to move your community forward through strategic planning, to think deeply about the customer perspective. Uh, I'm doing strategic planning uh, for a city right now, and I am up to my ears in people who play pickleball. If, yeah, exactly. We need to understand what pickleball players want because they are a vicious and passionate bunch, especially vicious. We need to look within our, our, within our staff 
and within our team and understand what's going on with their morale, with their capabilities and resources. And finally, we need to look all the way around our community and understand um, what, is, what is the breadth of community input that's going on. Think of this not as infrastructure, but idea structure. Your pursuit of possibilities means working on all of these things with all of your different constituents. Here's my final question for you, and then I'm done. I'm going to ask you to answer this in one word. The association has done a remarkable job of setting civility as its standard, as its strategic plan. I'm going to ask you one last question. Civility makes the difference. Why? Because it inspires what? What is this going to make a difference for you? Civility makes the difference because it inspires what? Answer that question, and then I get off the stage and we move forward. Civility makes the difference because it inspires cooperation and respect and community and mutual care and truth and collaboration and cooperation and hope. I love all these words. Community, collaboration, unity, cooperation, keep it going. Confidence, respect, input, courage, unity, openness, change, cooperation, hope, unity, progress. These are beautiful words. If you're going to be enthusiastic about anything coming out of this, what I ask you is to think about this as your opportunity and your responsibility. Civility makes the difference because of all these things that you say you want to accomplish. As Yoda says in Star Wars, you know, do or do not. There is no try. So don't leave here trying to do this. Make it happen. I'm going to push us forward right now. I always say the future is unknowable, but it's incredibly malleable. The small changes that you make today will have a world of difference for you and for your communities for generations to come. I urge you, I hope that you will go and take full advantage of the opportunity to do that. If you would like a copy of my slides, you can hand me your business card or write your email on a piece of paper. Or if you text my last name, which is Lehrman, L-E-H-R-M-A-N, and send it to the number 66866, you'll get a bounce back message that asks you for your email address. Just send your email back. It goes into my system. If you ever want to unsubscribe from my email, it's really easy to do. It's in MailChimp. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you. I I'm so appreciative and so respectful to the uh, association for its commitment to civility, and I applaud all of you for your efforts in that regard. Thank you so much.